Hello, Iterative Marketers. Welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast, where each week we give marketers and entrepreneurs actionable ideas, techniques, and examples to improve your marketing results. If you want notes and links to the resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. Now let's dive into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Robinson, and with me, as always, is the organized, but not too organized, Elizabeth Aaron. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We're gearing up for summer here. Any big plans? Well, we're trying to figure out. We, we, we plan to take a vacation this summer, and we're trying to decide between airplane or road trip. Which is the lesser of two evils with three under the age of six? Well, I think it depends on your family. Um, I know some families are very good at flying and some families are very good at road trips. How, what's your guys' track record been? I think it's kinder to the rest of the people on the airplane for us to stay in a car. <laughs> See, we love road trips, so we look for every opportunity to go on road trips. Um, our son is, is he's, he's got it down. He's, he's great at being in the car and looking out the window and finding trees and animals. And so we look for every opportunity for a road trip. Excellent. Yeah. I think in general, we're pretty good with road trips, but, um, I don't know now that we've got an additional member of the family this year, it's going to be, uh, could be a whole new game. Well, I can't wait to hear how it goes. <laughs> I will keep you informed. What are we actually talking about today? So today we're talking about how to shift your organization from a big idea or product and service marketing to persona-centric marketing. And we'll talk about why it's necessary to make this move. And we'll also talk about a lot of the friction or issues or challenges that people um, people encounter when they try to make this shift because it's not necessarily... Um, uh, an, an easy an easy transition for a lot of organizations. And I think the reason we really wanted to focus on this for this episode is that when we're working with clients and prospects to implement personas and customer journeys, there's always some sort of resistance that we hit. And we and our clients have, have found um, a number of tactics that we've been able to, to use to overcome this friction to the benefit of the organization. Yeah, so we thought it would make sense to share some of those tactics with you today. So if you're in a position where you are trying to Move what feels like a mountain um, that uh, you've got some some ways to turn it into a molehill, right? Exactly. But I think before we we dive into um, uh, into sort of talking about how to overcome some of those obstacles, I think we need to, to start at maybe defining what we're talking about when we say persona centric. Yeah. When we say persona centric, we're talking about um, uh, focusing on meeting the needs of the prospect or the customer at a personalized level based on um, mm-hmm. things that you'd find in a persona, their demographics, their psychographics, as well as where they are in their customer journey. So it's helping to make sure that you're doing the right thing for the right person at the right time. And there's a lot of benefits to doing this. Um, first and foremost, you have more clarity or more focus in the production of your content and creative because you know exactly who you're talking to, you know exactly what interests them, what they're looking for, the information they're seeking out, and you know what information they're seeking out along each step of their buyer's journey. The other benefits are, 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 are more tangible because you're going to see better outcomes. You're going to see higher conversion rates or close rates because the content is personalized to that customer um, or prospect right for, for who they are and where they are. 
And that leads to, you know, something else that we start to see, and that's a higher customer retention due to that personalized, those personalized materials that we're able to deliver. Because when we can, when we can speak to our audience in a way that, that shows that we know them, they feel like they belong. They feel like we understand them because we do, and it makes them want to stick around. And then finally, if you go through the process of segmenting your audience and putting them into a particular long persona lines, then the data that you get back out is also segmented. Mm -hmm. So if your actions are segmented, your data that you get back is segmented, which gives you an opportunity to learn things at a persona level where you'll find that they're often um, a little bit more clear because different personas react differently to different stimuli. Exactly. So what, what is sort of the problem that, that we're facing? What, why do organizations have such a hard time implementing personas and, and customer journeys and, and, the pers- and the work that's needed for persona-centric marketing? Well, I, there's lots of different reasons. Um, and, and I think what would be most effective is if we actually just loop through each of those individual reasons, those challenges, uh, one at a time, and then talk about the tactics that we found to support each one individually. Um, the first one's kind of obvious. It's... Uh, not having someone to really take the reins and be that 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 change agent or that champion within the organization to make this happen. I think that's a great point, Steve. Um, you know, when you look at it, when you're when you're looking to make that shift from um, or to a persona centric mindset, that that's not just one department that gets impacted. That's the entire organization that has to to take control of that and has to um, really help to push that through and supportive. And so, a lot of times it falls into that. It's not my job because it does overlap those those you know unseen organizational lines. Yeah, and it can feel intimidating because uh, uh, along those same lines. If it's going to impact other departments, then um, it may seem like it's too large for your role within within marketing. It, it, this is this is moving mountains here, and and my job is you know my lanes are within the marketing department. I think that leads to if you if you do try to step up and you do try to take control of this process or or lead this process, it can feel like even though you've gone through all this effort within your own department, someone else in the organization is going to come in and sort of sabotage what it is the work that you've done. Yeah, I mean, we've all we've all had that happen to our projects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are some of the solutions to this? How have our how have our clients overcome this? You know, uh, they've just done it, and I know that sounds kind of um, you know a little like Nike ish. Yeah, well, Nike ish that too. <laughs> um, but they've 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 taken that leap of faith. They've they've taken that extra step, and they've become the change agent, and they've done so in a, in a variety of different ways. Um, but I think I think the first hurdle they kind of get over is that they realize that in the worst case, if even if you start to implement this and it doesn't go beyond your department, at least you've implemented it within your own department and you can apply personas and customer journeys within the work that you're doing. And even if it ends there, you're still going to realize some really phenomenal benefits. Um, and not only that, but you have a really great story to tell. And hopefully as you tell that story and the company finds out about what it is you've been able to accomplish, they think, hmm, this is interesting. This is something I want to look into. And you can find someone else within the organization that can help you spearhead that project. And it might be that maybe you even only get to apply personas within your own work, your own domain, your own little slice of the marketing department. And that's okay too. Um, it's building up that 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 expertise on your end. So you have that to carry with you into your career fold forward and you get to you get the utility of it while you're there. Um, We'll also talk about some things to make that that hurdle of of getting it outside of your own domain less of a challenge. We'll talk a lot about a lot about those tactics as we as we work our way through the other impediments that come up throughout this episode. Um, that said, if you're 
If you're not a member of the senior leadership team, one of the best things that you can do to help make this happen is make sure that somebody who is in a higher leadership role is your advocate, is your champion for enacting this change, ideally above the marketing department, if not the the CMO or VP of marketing or whoever's at the at the head of the at the head of the table there. And if you're trying to convince someone at the head of the table, um, you're not alone. Uh, you've got other people, other great industry voices that 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 believe that this is a good idea, that have the proof that this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite thought leaders? Um, if if I had to go to a senior leader and say, "Hey, this is not my crackpot idea. We've got we've got serious heavy hitters in the industry who are saying this." Um, anybody from Forrester, you've got Brian Solis who came out of there. Um, on the marketing side, you've got Joseph Jaffe um, in more corporate uh, 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 customer experience type areas. You've got people like Carrie Bodine, Chip Bell. Um, uh, you've got authors of books about uh, persona-centric thinking like Adele Ravella. There's lots of thought leaders you can go to to go and pull um, case studies and, and validation that this is not your little pet project. This is, this is the direction of the, of the world. And, you know, we're not just looking to thought leaders. Um, another way that we can really help to, to become the change agent is to, to look to build a network of people in either our line of business or other line of businesses in similar roles that that have the same marketing mentality that you do. And um, working with them, keeping them informed of what you're doing, asking them for help and input, sharing the results, sharing your momentum this helps to sort of build up the the case studies for why this is the right decision for your organization. And Mm -hmm. these people become your advocates and they become a great network for you to rely on when you hit one of those little road bumps of, I'm not sure which way to go. You already have this great group of people who are using this in their lives as well. The key is to start small. Focus on your area of work. Um, Build up some influence throughout the organization where you need it and where you need to get input in order to make this successful. And um, keep the rest of the organization informed as you go because that's going to demonstrate momentum within the company and it will help help, um, others uh, come along for the ride. What's our next big issue? Yeah, so the next one kind of, it ties into something I think that that hits, that all of us get... um can run into occasionally with some project or another. And that's either there's no motivation to get this going or there's no sense of urgency to get it going. Yeah, you see this at two levels. One, if if, if senior leadership doesn't see a, le- see a need for this, either within marketing or outside of marketing, um, then they're, they're not going to enact any change themselves in how they're communicating or how they're interacting with, um, with the rest of the department. And that's going to cause some serious impediments. So you, you, you want to try and create that sense of motivation, that urgency within senior leadership. The same thing is true with the rest of the organization, particularly those other touch points that are going to become key as you try to um, work within a persona-centric world. And, and those come primarily in sales, but also in, in customer service or any other customer-facing role. Those are the people that have the insights you need in order to be able to really nail your persona discovery process, as well as those are the people that are going to contribute to creating that ideal customer journey moving forward and making sure that marketing isn't sitting in a silo within that customer journey. Now, if this is the scenario, this is the obstacle that's holding you back, there's sort of two solutions to, to how you can approach this. Um, the first is is to paint two pictures. Um, you know, what's working or what's happening now, sort of the broken um, versus the, the utopian future, what it could be, um, what the potential is in the future. Yeah, that broken now picture serves to highlight some of the key elements of the customer journey that 
that would really benefit to a shift to to persona centricity. So this, these are the instances where, um, you know, it's either creating a poor customer experience because they're they're getting something that's totally not applicable to them, or where there's mm-hmm. there's huge opportunities to um, improve conversion, click through rate, whatever it might be, your, your your positive outcomes because you're showing the same stuff to everyone. Um, the utopian future that the benefit is just exactly that. How can you quantify those changes? How can you say? If we were to do this better, if we were to actually improve the outcomes here, what would that look like um, as far as, as revenue goes? And what does that look like across the organization too? You can break this out of the marketing department if you need to get advocates there as well. So what does it look like for customer retention? What does this look like for improving close rates or positive outcomes there? And what does even a 3 or 5% bump in either of those two metrics mean to the organization as far as money? And you'll suddenly see whoa, this can become a very profitable endeavor. Exactly. Um, I think that if, uh, you know, that doesn't help you overcome this obstacle or even along that way, the other thing you really want to make sure that you're doing is is demonstrating a momentum. And one of the ways that you do that is make sure that the work that you are doing doing is highly visible. Um, you want to make sure that that appropriate people are, it's being shared with them, that they know what's going on, that they understand the results you're getting, that they see where you've actually been able to show with hard metrics where you've seen improvements. People can't argue with the data. So if you're sharing this with them, um, even if they're not on board in the beginning, they're eventually going to come around. Yeah. And, and storytelling can be really mm-hmm. helpful there. Um, so start out with, you know, what was the challenge or problem? How did we use persona centric thinking to address this? And, and what was the positive outcome? I think this is a great time for us to take a quick break and uh, go help some people, some real people, not some personas. So uh, let's go do that. Before we continue, I'd like to take a quick moment to ask you iterative marketers a small but meaningful favor and ask that you give a few dollars to a charity that's important to one of our own. This week, we are asking that you make a donation to the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. The AFA unites more than 2,600 member organizations across the country who are dedicated to meeting the educational, emotional, and practical needs of individuals with Alzheimer's disease and related illnesses, and their caregivers and families. To find out how you can help, please visit alzfdn.org or visit the link in the show notes. If you would like to submit your cause for consideration for our next podcast, please visit iterativemarketing.net slash podcast and click the share a cause button. We love sharing causes that are important to you. And we're back. So before the break, we introduced what uh, a persona-centric mindset was, why we're talking about it today, and, and why we're sharing these tips. And we also addressed um, two of those key uh, key. Uh, blockages that can get in your way as you're trying to trying to trying to implement persona centric thinking within marketing or beyond and and the two that we talked about were not having a, a not not having a change agent the person to really take charge and lead this or not having champions within the organization to clear that path forward and we also talked about a lack of urgency or or need and and that can really help as far as that champions or or just other stakeholders let's talk about some other issues here and the one that i, I think we've run into more often than not is is the idea of of a siloed organization so do you want to talk a little bit about how that can impact uh, persona centric centric thinking yeah definitely and i this i think it's important to note that this can happen in two different ways it can either happen because you have different lines of business um, that are siloed from each other 
Um, or you can have different parts of the customer journey that can be siloed from each other. Um, you know, marketing and sales, when you, there's a clear, distinct line and not open communication between the two is a really great example of when that happens. Once they become a customer and they get handed off to the customer care team and sales drops out of the picture, that's another great example of where you have that break in continuity. And so, um, you know, these two different type of scenarios create these silos that contribute to this problem. Yeah. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this causes uh, two problems. You have you have the problem that nobody can own the definition of who the customer is because does sales own that? Does marketing own that? Does customer service own that? Does product uh, design own that? Who, who, who owns this definition of who the customer is? And the second is that how do you get the moving parts of that customer journey in sync so that you can make sure that from a marketing perspective, you actually have a have an awareness of where people are in that customer journey and what 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 you need to foster the best experience possible from a marketing standpoint as they move through it's really hard to do that if everybody is 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 stuck with their blinders on and their little fiefdom and that happens more often than than you know I can say, I want to say almost every situation, even those organizations that are totally on board, this still comes up as an obstacle that we encounter. Mm -hmm. um, because when you do start talking about who owns the process, we are all passionate about what we do. And, you know, it's we don't want someone to come in and tell us how to, to run our department or run our business. Um, and so it's, it's finding finding that common ground and, and personas and customer journeys can really help with finding that common ground. But you have to get everyone on board and start doing the legwork before that can happen. And the key here to overcome this is, is to focus on that communication. Mm -hmm. um, you want to, um, as you begin this project, you want to make other groups within your organization aware of the work that you're doing and be open and invite them to participate early and often, right? Um, if they decline at first, um, bring them back in later um, or invite them back in later. As long as the door is open for them to participate, um, they can't come back later and say that this was done in a vacuum. Um, and I, I think that that's the that's part of the key there. Um, mm -hmm. Flip side of that is don't get mired down in governance either. So in some organizations, when you start to invite people cross-functionally into, into a project, that can open up a, a whole bunch of governance steps. And now you have to create a task force and do this, that, and the other. See what you can do to avoid falling into that early because it can slow things down immeasurably and 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 almost um, sometimes cause the whole thing to just just stop and then once that groundwork is laid you want to uh, create a cross-functional group that can meet to discuss this to keep this going to keep the momentum that you that you started going, whether it's a task force or, or a center of excellence, you're really looking for a group that can meet that's represented by each of the departments that are involved or each of the business units that are involved who can meet regularly, um, review the documents, provide feedback, and make these living documents that you can continue to build off of as you move, move forward and, and learn more about your audience and their, and their journey. Exactly. The key is to do that more formal stuff after you have something, yes. <laughs> not before. Um, this is, this is kind of similar uh, as well. You've got the silo stuff at the, at the, at the middle, but then, um, it's important to have some buy-in from the C-suite mm -hmm. because, um, we've all, we've all been there. Um, you work on a great marketing program. Um, uh, you, you think you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted and all of a sudden it gets in front of somebody in the C-suite and they have some, some idea, right? And the idea must become part of the program. And you're going, yeah, but I don't have a persona for this. I don't know where it fits in the customer journey. This, I don't know where to go here. And so you need to have that buy-in from the C-suite as early in the process as possible. Um, uh, why is that a hard thing to do? 
Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a hard thing to do for a couple of different reasons. And the first one being that, um, especially if you have, if you're working with an organization or for an organization that has multiple lines of business, um, with, with customer crossover happening, t- when you start talking about persona centric thinking, this really threatens the way that the business has been run for who knows how long. And that change can be a little bit scary. And so when you start talking about this new idea that that sort of threatens the way that we've always done things, um, that can get shot down pretty quick. And your C-suite is generally the, the, the part of the organization that has the most experience. They've been doing this for a long time. They they're in that role because of the experience and expertise from a leadership standpoint and a strategic standpoint that they have. This is foreign material to them. So it's a hard change for them to make from, uh, from a mindset standpoint. It's not impossible, though. Yeah, we're asking them to go from, you know, looking at this from a product service lens to looking at this from from the human side, from the the, the persona side. And that is a, a huge shift. And it's not just a shift in in your mentality, but it's a shift in, in how you you move forward in general and that affects processes and internal communication. And there's a wealth of ways that this influences and changes how you do business. Yeah. So the key at least the keys that I found to overcoming this and our customers have, have found is is start with a briefing. Make sure they're informed early, but make sure that this information is at the C-suite level, that it's mm-hmm. at the executive level and not mired in marketing speak. That's a great point. And I think this is a great time to bring those thought leaders in um, that you talked about earlier where, you know, case studies from some well-respected names in the industry, names that your C-suite has heard of, um, or other industries or other organizations in similar industries or other industries, again, that they've heard of. Um, this is going to help lay the groundwork that you're not trying to do something that's mm-hmm. that's totally new and out there and that people have had success with this. And not only have people had success, but it's people that they respect who've had success with it. Yeah, and if you can t- pepper in a story from a disruptor in your industry, somebody who threatens your organization from the the very fabric of how you're structured, um, that can be really effective too mm-hmm. because it lays that that oh this is the future this is where they're going we need to make sure that we're moving internally there as well. Exactly. Um, when you do approach them about producing customer journeys or show them some customer journeys and some some personas, you want to limit the subset of these because even if within the marketing department you've identified 20 different personas that you're going to develop and you've developed 10, show the executives three. Mm-hmm. Um, they really only need to know the key players. Um, you can mention that there are others, um, but show them the key players. Don't give them too much to digest at once. Um, and then make sure that when you're presenting materials the entire way through the process that they're visual and that they can be understood in five minutes or less. Because if you start showing them your master customer journey document that contains, you know, who's pulling which ropes where from sales to customer service to, to marketing and, 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 and all of the key messages for each point in there and, and which media they're interacting with, and they're gonna, their, their eyes are going to glass over. That's too much. Dumb it down. Make it simple, make it visual and pretty, and uh, and and you'll make friends in this in the, in the executive suite that'll that'll help you along the way. And if that you know condensed presentation, this high level view of it, um, you know, has someone from the C suite coming to you after the meeting and asking for the more detailed documents, you've just found your your champion. You found someone that can help you push this through. So this can be a great opportunity. The next key is to make sure that 
this is this is part of 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 daily or ongoing communications with with the executive team. So, if you're in a position where you're 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 producing reports for the executive team, um, or if your boss or someone else within the organization is is the person who's producing those reports for the executive team, make sure that you are referring back to the personas and the customer journeys within your own reporting. Make sure that it's part of that narrative and that you don't stray from that. And then attach the actual personas and customer journeys to the very reports that you're delivering to the executives so that they're constantly seeing this. It's in front of them. So even if they don't get it, even if they're not thinking this way or communicating back to you in this way, at least it's it's uh, perpetually in front of them. You know, honestly, I think this is one of the best things that you can possibly do. Um, you, you start to change that internal vocabulary. <clears throat> Excuse me. You start to change that internal vocabulary. And even if, again, they're not fully getting it, they start using it. They're having the subconscious buy-in before they even realize it. And by um, attaching those as, you know, at the end of the reports, like you mentioned, um, that's great because you are going to have such an intimate knowledge of these people and their journeys. Um, but other players, whether it's the C-suite or, or other people within the organization, they're not going to. And you want to make sure you have those resources available to them should they want to look into this a little bit further. And then um, this, has this, this has another benefit as well. If you get that C-suite ingrained or, or whoever it is that's, that's most dabbling their fingers into the marketing, whether that's the president, the CEO, some, some VP of operations, or the, the, sales, the sales guy who's, who's leading, leading, leading sales, a CRO or, or whatever. If you get them in, ingrained in this persona-centric thinking, or at least understand it, then when they come to you with their next big crazy idea that you, you look at and go, I don't know how, yeah, uh-huh. You can pull out your personas and your customer journeys and you can say, hey, I'd love to do this. Can we talk through which persona this is targeting and where it fits in their customer journey? And out of that dialogue, the next thing you know, it either turns into something that's actionable or it gets shelved for a future date. This is a fantastic uh, tool to be able to use. Um, I can't tell you how many times thinking back over the years, I've sat, sat in meetings that have ran way longer than they ever should have because we were arguing some marketing you know, tactic or some advertising piece of advertising or big promotional idea that someone wanted to run, someone in the C-suite wanted to run because it was their, you know, it was their baby. It was their personal preference. And this would have been the, the tool, the, the conversation, the question to stop that in its tracks and get everyone back on track um, without looking like you're, you're being argumentative or not a team player. So, um, this is, this is one of those hidden gems and, um, just one more reason why persona centric marketing is, is such a great tool for the organization. Now you had mentioned earlier, uh, Elizabeth, that, um, even if you've got the C-suite on board, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean the rest of the organization has any clue what the heck you're talking about when you're throwing out a bill and his journey in the middle of some meeting, right? So how do you, how do you address that problem? Yeah. So if the rest of the organization has no clue what you're talking about, there's no way that you're going to be able to collaborate with them or take them along for this this ride that you're on as you're 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 trying to develop this new content, and this new creative, and these new experiences for these customers. So one thing that you really want to look to is you want to find opportunities to visualize your personas and and turn turn the persona that you have on paper um, into a visual display that the entire company can see. Um, you know, it's it can be posting them in high traffic areas um, so that anyone coming and going has an idea who these people are. So when again, to your point, you start talking about Bill, the person next to you is not thinking, is he the new guy that I haven't met yet? Because someone has asked me that before. They've literally asked me, is that is that a new person working working at the company? And it's like. 
no, we're coming back to the personas. So we want to make sure that everyone can see them on a regular basis. And again, this becomes part of the internal vocabulary. And you want to do the same thing if you're responsible or someone within your department is responsible for company-wide reports, tie those back to the personas wherever possible. So and and attach them to the end of those reports as well so that hopefully those cross-departmental um, meetings where you're 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 getting the marketing report it is persona centric and it at least raises eyebrows or questions among uh, other departments about what do you mean by personas and then hopefully that starts a very healthy dialogue. And finally, when we're taking a look at, at some of the, the roadblocks to a successful persona-centric implementation, um, one of the things that we really have to be aware of is making sure that we are maintaining our momentum as we move forward. Yeah, every organization has tons of moving parts that are in motion right now. And this is true within the marketing organization. This is true within the greater organization. In both cases, uh, you start talking about making a move to persona-centric thinking, and they're going to say, well, we can't stop what we're doing right now, right? It's, 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 it's somewhat working. I mean, we, it's not like it's all broken. And, and if we just stop it, then, then, then we'll stop delivering. And that's no good. The more you start to look at the world through the eyes of your personas, the more opportunities you're going to identify for personalization and for alignment with the customer journey and an improved customer experience. And so even though it's easy to get held up with, yes, but we have to keep going, um, the extra work that's going to be required is going to improve what it is that you're already doing. Um, And while you can't fix everything overnight, you are going to start seeing some small benefits that's going to reinforce what it is that you've already put in place. The key is to keep your head cool and make sure that you're not trying to move a mountain, right? So remember that something is working now. It's not like you're, you're, you're in need to get this implemented across all marketing activities today. Um, uh, something's working right now, and, and you can phase this in over time, and, and uh, it's, it's, it doesn't need to be done all at once, all right now. I think it helps too if you focus on the new. You've got so many new things going on. You have new creative, you have new content, you have new data that's coming out and, and um, anything else that sort of comes out of the work that you've done, you want to make sure that you're documenting this um, as you move forward and helping to really create that, that persona-centric picture. So you're, you're, you're making sure that anything that you're doing new is persona-centric. Then the next step is to start slowly working backwards, biting off bit by bit, where can we introduce personalization? Where can we go back and audit some of this content and make sure that it actually aligns with a, a persona and a customer journey, and if not, fix that? Um, and that, that, that can be done in small chunks over time. You don't have to go through every single blog post on the blog and figure out who it was for and why we wrote it all at once. It's, it's, not, it's not practical, but can you go back and, and bite off a couple of them a, a month and make sure that they're, they're, they're edited to, to conform to the target persona? Yeah, that's doable. And um, if you're wondering where you should start, because that's, you know, can hold you up a little bit too, that's where the customer journey comes in. You know, you don't want to be necessarily spending your time updating content that that isn't a pivotal piece in the customer journey. So look to your customer journey to really identify and prioritize those pieces that are going to have the biggest impact. So we, we managed to record another long one today, Elizabeth. Um, we're, we're really good yeah, at this. Yeah. Really, listeners, we're working hard to try and keep these short and concise. Um, hopefully you feel like they're just too value-packed and, and, and it's a good thing. But uh, um, let's quickly sum up what we talked about today. Um, so I think it's important, again, just to summarize, when we're talking about persona-centric, it means that we're not only focusing on customer need, needs, but also differentiating them based on their psychographics or demographics and where they are in that customer journey. 
And then we went through six common challenges faced by um, those that are trying to enact this change um, in their in their marketing and 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 where it tangentially touches other departments. We outlined solutions for each one of these. Um, we're not going to rehash all of them right this second. Uh, uh, but I encourage you, if you haven't already, to go subscribe to the show notes um, because that's where you have an opportunity to get the list of the six and we don't have to rehash them here. I want to thank everybody for taking some time to join us today. We appreciate every moment you, uh, you spend with us. If you haven't already, please pop out to iTunes and give us a review. That helps others find our podcast and uh, learn the same stuff that you're learning. Until next week, onward and upward. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast directory. If you want notes and links to resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There, you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow iterative marketers. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at I-T-E-R, the number eight, I-V-E, or email us at podcast at iterativemarketing.net. The Iterative Marketing Podcast is a production of Brilliant Metrics, a consultancy helping brands and agencies rid the world of marketing waste. Our producer is Heather Ullman with transcription assistance from Emily Bechtel. Our music is by Seastock Audio Music Production and Sound Design. You can check them out at seastockaudio.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, onward and upward.